Any day now, let's know. <laughs> what a wonderful way to learn scripture through music. Uh, people have been doing that for, you know, since the, the day of Christ, I'm sure. And, and uh, some of the first Bible verses I ever remembered were, you know, by singing little tunes and doing little things and you know, a while back, I challenged people to learn a little bit, you know, try to memorize some scripture, try to get into the Bible a little bit, and what a wonderful way to do that. So, Jen, that's awesome. I, I, I mean, I'll find myself just out of nowhere, suddenly I'll start humming these little tunes that, I mean, they're really silly, but, uh, you know, you never forget them. You know, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the next thing you know, here we go, you know, we've got these little things, but, but that's just a wonderful way to to learn scripture. If you've never tried it, I mean, try it. I mean, you might seem a little silly. I mean, when I first started doing it, I worked at a Christian bookstore, and they had these little kids' tapes. You know, I would listen to them in my car where nobody else would ever know that I was, you know, listen, learning scripture by listening to little kids, we sing, you know, stuff like that. So, but, um, but it, was a, it was a pretty neat thing. So I want to thank Larry Dickerson for jumping in for me today in Sunday school. I was, I have no excuse. I was just late. I was not moving and just didn't get moving this morning. So I had a rough night. I I dreamed I was being captured by, by Bigfoot. I don't know what it is about Bigfoot. He and I have a long history going back decades of <clears throat> battles in the night. And But for whatever reason, I he was trying to get me, and I was smacking him and hitting him, and you know, so it's uh, not fun. But uh, well, when I was a little kid, I, of course, being when you're little, Christmas was always a big deal, and uh, you know, always looking forward to getting stuff, and birthdays were always great, and you know, when you're a little kid, it's all about the loot sometimes, you know, what, you know, what am I going to get? Uh, well, this one year I'd asked for this, uh, when I was a real little kid, they had these, uh, I don't remember the name of them, but they were like Western figures, a little bigger, taller than Barbie dolls. They're probably Barbie dolls for boys is probably what they were, but they, they were like big Western, you know, and you get these horses with them, and you can, you'd pose them, and we'd, me and my cousin, we'd race them around the, the room and have shootouts with them and stuff. And, and there was this one horse I wanted so bad. Um, I don't know what its real name was. I was going to call him Guns. Guns the horse. And if I could just get Guns, you know, I was going to make my collection complete. Well, lo and behold, on my birthday, I got Guns the horse. All right, so, and I'm just thrilled, and, and I had that thing out of the package, and I looked at it, and it was like, the legs don't move. They're like stiff. There's no joints to them. And I'm like, this isn't any fun. I've waited all this time for this horse, and, and it's just like, okay. Well, we got to playing with him, and it wasn't a half hour. I broke the tail off. I'm like, nobody wants to ride on a horse with a broken tail. So it's like, you know, all this time I led up to this this great toy I was going to have. And as, and as soon as I got the thing, it wasn't what I thought it was. And then I broke it and uh, it was crazy. 
How often do we go through life like that where we, we're waiting for something, we're expecting something, and it's going to be awesome, and then we get it, and it's like, what? This is it? This isn't at all what I expected? Well, I want to jump into the Bible and give you a story kind of like that where people were, uh, were shocked to find out that their expectations were not about to be uh, fulfilled. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. We're going to spend everything here in Luke chapter 19. And, of course, we're going to talk about the, uh, uh, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I didn't see any palm branches here this morning. I was kind of I was like, is it really Palm Sunday? I forget. I, I don't know. Of course, when I was a kid, I thought Palm Sunday meant like, your palm, like wave, you know. To my head, when Jesus came into the city, everybody was like, hi, you wave at Palm Sunday. You know, it wasn't for a while until I figured it out what the palms were and all that. But, uh, well, I've been talking about the lead up to Easter and Jesus trying to get it into his disciples' heads. You know, this is what's going to happen. We're going up to Jerusalem. And some important things are about to happen. The most important thing is about to happen. Something that none of you are ready for. Something that none of you expect. I know that you have expectations about me. And I'm sorry to say when we get up to Jerusalem, I mean, what you're expecting isn't going to happen. Something else is going to happen. Something infinitely more amazing and wonderful will happen. But you have to be prepared for this. And so Jesus had spent time talking to the disciples and preparing them. And, and uh, on the way, they had ended up uh, just, a, a, uh, just before that, the healing or the resurrection of Lazarus took place. And uh, we're getting closer to Jerusalem. And Luke chapter 19 kind of picks up. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus arrives in Jericho, which is about... 16, 20 miles, I think, from Jerusalem. It's over pretty rough territory. And, of course, in Jericho is where he meets Zacchaeus and, uh, you know, the wee little man, and you know, he ran up the tree and the whole thing, and you had to see Jesus. Well, that, that story takes place. And then, eventually, they get moving again, heading to Jerusalem. And I want to pick up here on, uh, in uh, verse 28. So Luke chapter 19 Verse 28, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says, you know, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And when they were untying the colt, its owner said to him, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode, uh, yeah, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, 
saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So here we have Jesus and, and all of his disciples, not just the twelve, but you know the hundreds of people who had been following him around. Some with honest intention, others perhaps just to get a free handout. Maybe Jesus will, you know, feed us uh, fish and chips again, and you know, maybe he'll perform a miracle. We'll we'll get to see that. I, but there are a lot of people following and people who knew of him. It's interesting to me that. The walk from Jericho to Jerusalem, about a six-hour walk. It's interesting, they get to the Mount of Olives, and they kind of pause there, I think. Um, as you come into Jerusalem, based on some of my reading and study this week, you come up on a hill, and that's the Mount of Olives, and you look down into, you see Jerusalem. And it's interesting, it's here that he calls for a colt, which is a, a, a young donkey. Okay, we're not, It's not a horse, but a, you know, calling for the donkey here. It's interesting, why didn't he just ride the donkey the last 16 miles? I mean, he walked 16 miles with all the disciples. They get to Jerusalem, and then, oh, man, okay, bring the donkey, you know. I don't know, maybe he should have, if it was me, I'd have had that donkey back in Jericho and rode him all the way, you know, that would have made a little bit more sense maybe. But there's a very specific reason why Jesus insisted on having this cult ready for him, and then uh, brought to him so that when he rode into Jerusalem, he would be specifically riding on this colt. And this goes back to an Old Testament prophecy from the book of Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah chapter 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knew by riding this colt into Jerusalem, it was, a, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. He knew that the Jewish people were looking for this as a sign. And... Uh, there was great excitement in the city. It's the Passover week. And the news has probably spread. Jesus is coming. You heard about some of the things he did. Let me tell you, he did something really wild. He raised Lazarus from the dead. I saw it with my own eyes. And he's coming to... You can imagine people are just stirred up. And then lo and behold, here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. And, and uh, most of the Jews were fairly... Um, oh, how do I put it? Um, very religious, very righteous. They understood the significance, this, the, the symbolism of watching him come down this hill riding on a donkey. They said, ah, that's it, that's it, that's, that's the Messiah. It, it was prophesied. So what's the story with the palm leaves? I mean, to really get significance, to understand this whole situation... This is more than just Jesus just riding into town. Okay. Um, there was a Jewish festival called the Feast of Booths, or the, the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's often uh, in Jewish 
tradition, it's called the Sukkot, which means booths. Booths as being like little tents, temporary little dwellings that you would like crash in for a day or so and then pick it up and move on to the next place. And this feast was created by God in the book of Leviticus to remember the 40-year time period that the children of Israel had wandered around in the desert. Because of their disobedience, you know, God said, okay, we're going to wander for a while. Give you some time to think about it, <laughs> you know. So around they go. And each year the Jews would create huts and remember that there was a time when the Jews were homeless in, in the desert. So this was a memorial kind of thing. During the feasts um, of the tabernacles, in Jewish tradition, they would often recite Psalms 113 through 118. We're not going to read those today. You, you may have read them before. They're fairly short. But these were Psalms that were written specifically for that feast, that holiday. Okay? And uh, in uh, the 118th Psalm, there's a passage in there. There's a phrase that says, save us or deliver us, which translates into a Jewish word called Hosanna. You probably have heard the term Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. In your Bible, it may even use the word Hosanna there in Luke. Uh, I, can, I know a lot of songs that use the word Hosanna, 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 you know, Hosanna. You know, everybody has heard of that word before. But in Jewish tradition, the word Hosanna was a phrase that meant save us or deliver us, help me. Okay, it was a plea, that kind of a, of a thing. Christians have taken the word and sometimes we've applied it to almost have made it a form of adoration. So we go, Hosanna in the highest, you know, as if, wow, you know, amazing. But in the tr Jewish tradition, not really the, you know, the Christian, but in the, the original Jewish tradition, the word Hosanna meant, you know, help me. It was a cry for help. During the feast, they would often wave branches in the air, uh, hickory branches, any other kind of branch, including palm branches. They would bind them up and they would wave them in the air as a, uh, a way to signify that God is everywhere. I mean, the branches point in all directions. And so they would wave them around, you know, during the feast. It's sort of a religious thing. And it meant God is everywhere. He's up, he's down, north, south, east, west, he's everywhere. And it was tradition to save the bundles that were used during the, the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Sukkot. And they would use, they would bundle up the leftovers and use them, excuse me, to symbolically sweep out your house on the Passover. So as they celebrated Passover, they had these leaves or these sticks and twigs and stuff, made a little broom out of it, and just kind of a symbolic thing. You're symbolically cleaning your house. You're making things right again. You're, you get out with the, the old and celebrate the new. So the Jews, during this time, the idea of having the, the palm branches, I mean, this was something that they were used to. They didn't just suddenly, oh, here comes Jesus. Oh, there's some palm branches. Let's wave it at him. No, there was significance behind the palm branches. Okay. And every Jew who was there understood 
what the palm branches signified. But why would they wave them at Jesus? I know this is starting to sound like a history lesson. Well, sorry, I'm a history teacher. That's what I do. So, but, uh, so I ask myself, okay, great. So they've got these palms, and I get what they mean, but why would they wave them at, at Jesus? Why would you do that? Okay, why would you wave them at, at Jesus? What's the significance of that, of the waving? Well, about 165 years before the birth of Jesus, there was a Greek by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. He's a bad guy. Okay, Antiochus Epiphanes. He came to power in Jerusalem, and he sought to force the Greek culture upon the Jews, put an end to their religion. He's what we call Hellenistic Jew, I mean, or uh, Hellenistic Greek. And uh, he would move through there and just so happened at the time his group was in charge. And when he got there, he invaded the city. And the Jews, of course, rebelled. They didn't, you know, who's this guy? He's coming into our city. He's going to, we got we to gotta defend ourselves. He enters, Antiochus Epiphanes enters the Holy of Holies in the temple and desecrates the sanctuary by offering an unclean pig upon the altar of burnt offerings. Now, to a Jew, that would have been highly offensive. If you've gone into, this is where God is, and you, you put a pig on the, what are you doing? They also went around the building... They polluted the temple by sprinkling it with water in which flesh had been boiled. So they were sprinkling it around. I mean, they, they desecrated the temple. He then dedicates the temple to Zeus and the Jews' revolt. Now, at the time, there was a family by the name of the Maccabees. You may have heard of that term before. They eventually ran, ran the Greeks off they run Antiochus out, they take the temple back, and they uh, rededicate this temple to God. And that's still celebrated to this day. That's the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, I mean, the, the story of how they went back, got the temple back and all that. Anyways, Judas Maccabee was the older of three brothers, and when he returned to Jerusalem, the people gathered palm branches, waved them in the air, shouted Hosanna to the one who had saved him. So here you have, historically, the Jewish people, it was a, they, knew, they knew the story of the Maccabees and how when Judas, or Judas Maccabees, their hero, came into the city, they were waving palm branches at him. Knowing their history, the Jews did the same thing for Jesus. Thinking what? He's going to be a conquering hero just like the Maccabees. Jesus has come here to, uh, to destroy the Romans. He's going to run them off. He's going to take the temple back. He's going to, you know, there's not going to be any more Roman rule. He's going to restore the kingdom of God on earth. Jesus would be this this Messiah who would come and he would be a conquering king. They were prepared for that and were waving the branches. Here he comes. We know what this, what's going to happen. Jesus is going to go down in Jerusalem and it's here we go. Let's get it on. Jesus is going to 
take over, and he's going to bring about this kingdom. Kind of like me dreaming about my horse. I had it all figured out in my head. I, this is exactly, it's going to get here, and it's going to be great, and we're going to do all these things. And, and then I got it, and it wasn't anything like I expected. Well, Jesus, as he begins to fulfill his mission, will begin to to demonstrate to the Jewish people that this isn't going to be like what you think. You're all hailing me as this conquering king. I'm not here. I am the prince of peace. My mission is much greater. I am the resurrection and the life. We talked about that last week. So here the Jews are waving the palms. They figured Jesus was going to head to the temple to destroy the the, the Romans, take the nation back. They just did not understand his mission. Let's uh, go back to Luke chapter 19 again. We'll pick up where we left off. Verse 41. So here comes Jesus into the city. They're waving the palm branches. Hosanna, Hosanna. God help us. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus, as he's going into the city, he begins to weep. These are not tears of joy. He's weeping because he knows what's about to happen. You guys want me to be a conquering king. You want me to do all these things. I've come here to die for you. All of you people waving these branches, you're all going to reject me within a week. They would all be shouting for his death, not to make him king. Jesus knew that Israel would be crushed by the Romans, and within 40 years, the temple itself would be destroyed. He knew that in the future, the Jews would be scattered across the face of the earth for thousands of years. The Jewish people have been scattered everywhere. I think he understood the entirety of Jewish history. He probably saw the Holocaust. He knew what was going to happen, the near total destruction of the Jews from the earth. All because, as he says here in verse 44, you did not know the time of your visitation. In other words... The Lord is here. He has come. Jerusalem's destruction, some say, was divine judgment for their failure to recognize and embrace the Messiah when he visited them. I often wonder if Jesus weeps for us. If he weeps for the church. As he looks ahead and, and, and you know, he, he looks at the church and every time that we 
We fight and we bicker and we carry on. When we forget our purpose to love and to care for God's creation. When we forget about God's children, when we stop helping and loving one another. I wonder if Jesus, wonder if Jesus weeps for us. Well, let's, let's finish up the story here, picking up in verse 45. So everybody's expecting Jesus to come in. The king is here. He's going to come down here. He's going to take over. We can expect a rousing speech. He's going to you know, lead us into revolt, and we're going to take back what's ours. Well, verse 45, and he entered the temple. And he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves and robbers. In some of the other uh, Gospels, it talks of him you know, flipping the tables over, uh, making a whip, chasing them out. I mean, he was upset. This is not what the people expected. Well, Jesus, what are you doing? He's chasing them out of there. What's the matter with him? This is a funny way for the Messiah to act. They didn't realize it. The time of their visitation was upon them. They totally missed it. Instead of giving a rousing speech in which he would then assume leadership of the Jewish people, he goes to the temple. And he cleanses it all right by driving out the money changers. Jesus was on a mission. He wanted to bring order and purpose again to the temple, if even for just a, just a moment. What is there in your life that needs to get in order? We all have needs. Is there any one of us that didn't come in here today without some sort of need? on a personal level, an emotional need, a physical need, a need for love, a need for comfort, a need for healing, a need for financial relief, whatever. We all have needs. If Jesus came to cleanse my heart, would he bring a whip? Would he be angry? What would it take for Christ to come into my heart to get things straight? If only these crowds had known what made for peace. They would have known that Jesus came to be a deliverer, but a, a different kind of deliverer. He came to suffer on our behalf. He came to cleanse us, cleanse our temples in a way. He came because he loves us. The, 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 the Passion Week is upon us throughout all of Christianity. You're going to hear of holidays. You're going to hear of celebrations. You're going to hear of Good Friday uh, services. And Christians celebrate it in many, many different ways. But as we move into Holy Week, crying out Hosanna. Are we crying out Hosanna as the Jews did at one time? God help us. Help me, Lord. I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. 
Are we crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? This is a great week and a great time to reevaluate our own priorities about the Christian life. Where are you in, in your own walk with, with Jesus? It's a great time to, to think about those things. Because Jesus came to this earth on a mission. He came to save, to be a deliverer, to be the Prince of Peace. Now, there will come a day when Jesus will return. The Bible says Jesus will return as a conquering king. And on that day, I mean, it, it'll be a glorious thing. Uh, the idea of Jesus being a wimpy, suffering servant. No, no, he's going to come back as the king of glory. Easter's a wonderful time. It's a tragic time. Uh, if you come to Good Friday service, uh, we'll be talking a little bit about the cross, his mission upon the cross. What, you know, why, why the cross? Why did he have to go to the cross? One of my best friends that I used to argue about um, Christian beliefs and stuff growing up and like so many people, he tried to argue. So I just, I don't know if I can... You know, believe in a religion where, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Messiah was killed by the Jews and, and they killed him and I just don't, I don't get that. And my response was, that's the whole point. He was not killed by them. He voluntarily gave his life a sacrifice. They were the medium in which his death was accomplished. But he wasn't murdered in the sense of a murder. He was a lamb of God who came as a sacrifice for you. None of us are worthy of, of the kingdom of God. None of us are worthy of the life that Jesus bought for us through his death. But God loves us and he wants us to enjoy that. He wants us to believe in that. He wants you to rejoice in that. He wants us to call out to him, Father, Help us. Hosanna in the highest. Well, my challenge for you this week, you know, is spend some time crying out Hosanna to God in your prayer time. As you're getting up in the morning, as you're in the shower, you're cooking dinner, you're at school, you're taking a test, just in your own mind, you know, Hosanna in the highest. God... We praise you, we love you, but God, we, boy, do we need you. And God, we're so thankful for the ultimate deliverance found in Jesus. Jesus is about to fulfill his mission. It was not a mission that people expected. But praise God, it's the mission that, that God had intended, and it's the mission that saves each and every one of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. For this day, and I thank you, God, for the opportunity to be reminded of the story of Easter, every little part of it. As Jesus came into Jerusalem, he came as someone who was prepared to die for us, and he wept. He wept. God, help us to remember that Jesus paid the price, the ultimate price so that we could be free, so that we could have 
resurrection life. Jesus really is the resurrection and the life. God, help us to love him, to think of him, and to give him glory. In the name of, of our Savior, Jesus, amen.